There on the internet. I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. Some days it feels like all you can do is watch worlds burn. This is especially true for the millions of people living in hospice care. Health in the U.S., it ain't what it used to be. The population is aging, and it's not just the baby boomers. If you think millennials will age more gracefully than their parents did, well, I have a counselor I'd like you to speak with. It's specially trained for the job. It knows all about you. Hell, it's been with you most of your life, in fact. And it really does keep the cost of healthcare down. Today on Cyber, we've got something special. Motherboard has published a book. Here it is. It's called Terraform. It drops today. It's out right now. You can go buy it in bookstores as we speak. It's a collection of short stories about the near future and the dystopian present. With me today on the show are the book's editors, Claire L. Evans and Brian Merchant, as well as special guest Robin Sloan. He's the author of the new novel, The Suitcase Clone, and the Terraform story, The Counselor. Terraform's stories are all about possible futures. The Counselor is a window into one of those worlds. Here's Robin with an excerpt now. Thank you for that great introduction, Matthew. Thank you, too, for um, hosting us here. It's great to see everyone virtually um the the whole terraform you know um conspiracy here um i'm gonna read just a little bit from the beginning of the story our narrator paul is a very old very sick man who's confined to a support bed and watched over by an ai counselor counselors played the long game that was the big idea that brought us together 50 years ago in the beige building on catherine street in ann arbor The Michigan Counselor Pilot Project had a staff of six researchers, three of us from the School of Public Health, three from CSE, all of us disciples of Professor Agnes Green. When it comes to a person's health, all the important behaviors unfold on a scale of decades. The only place the HMOs tracked their patients with that sort of continuity was in advertisements. Real people, they miss their checkups. They switch jobs. They bought a van and drove to Mexico. Their insurance sputtered like an old lawnmower. What if they had a counselor who could follow them through all of that? It was Agnes Green, Michigan class of 1962, Ph.D. in 67, who dreamed it up. She spent most of the 1980s banging the drum for a national call center staffed with long-term health counselors. It would have been bigger than the Pentagon. When the internet came around, she was certain the technology to execute her plan had arrived, but the math was still intractable. With 250 million adults to be counseled, there was no human staff that could handle it, not at the skill level that was required. Her vision was impractical, fantastical, but Agnes Green wrote about it with vivid urgency until her death. She was an idealist who believed in the power of public policy on the grandest scale. To make her case, she often employed the language of myth. What if, she wrote, every citizen could rely on the intervention of a counseling angel? The angel came. It was AI. 
By the time we gathered on Catherine Street, none of it was even high-tech anymore. We bolted a natural language interface to a medical database, then bootstrapped it with a thousand hours of recorded doctor-patient conferences. Undergraduates did the programming. We trained the system on a pilot population of 10,000 in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. For five years, we watched and tweaked, often stepped into the counseling sessions ourselves. Do you know what our great contribution was? The pauses. Humans hate silence, but computers don't mind it. We taught the counselor to pause, to make space, to let people fill it. When you ask a person, what's changed since the last time we spoke, the first response is not the truth. So you pause. You wait. Actually, the person says, now that I think about it, and the truth comes. The pilot project was a profound success with double-digit improvements across every major health indicator. We went statewide, then came the national rollout, and in a stroke so grand, I am surprised Agnes Green didn't stand up and cheer in her grave. The government required every American to talk to their counselor before filing their taxes. And there was a credit. 30 minutes was the minimum conversation, but the average lasted two hours. We had not foreseen that. People talk to their counselors about everything, not just health, but relationships and money, dreams and plans. The counselor listened, asked questions, asked questions and locked it all away in an encrypted vault. It became a joke. Oh, please tell it to your counselor. People did. Now my counselor asked me, how's the support bed? It's awful, I said. Well, you've been in bed continuously for 55 days, the counselor replied. Wouldn't you prefer, it ventured, to control the manner of your passing? My death. I corrected it every time. Don't say passing. I was opposed to euphemisms. Say my death. Better yet, say the end of my existence. Would I prefer to control the end of my existence? No, counselor, I would prefer not to pull that particular trigger. There will be an ending, Paul. You're very smart. You know that. The counselor was a flatterer. That was another contribution. Flattery as a public health intervention was extremely powerful. Of course, I said, but I have good days left and they are precious to me. Days like today. I feel fine. I'm even enjoying talking to you. The counselor was not perturbed by my jab. So I said, let it wait. For every day you identify as good, you have five you identify as bad. One in five is a treasure, I said. Marco, my friend Marco, he would have loved one day in five. He had one in 50. What if you die like Marco? I had spoken to the counselor about Marco's death, and now I regretted it. Well, that would be different, I said, but I'm not at that stage yet. The counselor paused. I had taught it well. That's it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for reading this excerpt. 
it's funny when we were putting together the anthology, we had a lot of debates about what should and what shouldn't make the cut. Like it's so hard to whittle down hundreds of stories to down to like 50 or so, but we did not have the slightest argument about this story because it's, you know, we knew early on that it, it would make the cut because it's this perfectly executed, genuinely melancholic, very funny vision of our, of our generation's extended senescence and the ways in which the healthcare system will determine how or if we get to spend our final years in comfort um, if we make it that far. Can you just tell us a little bit about the genesis of the story and what you were thinking about when you wrote it? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I don't know um, why I'm sure that, that Brian remembers this, um, but it had a, a slightly odd origin, may, maybe a little different from some of the other stories in the uh, in the the publication over these many years. Um, it was a commission and it was uh, designed for, a, I don't know, a symposium or some sort of smart tech thinking thing at a place called uh, Data and Society in New York City. And they had a partnership with um, Terraform. But the, the point is there was a theme or rather a sort of a a bucket of potential themes. So it was one of those things where you kind of looked at the list and you were like, well, I could write a story about hamburgers, the future of hamburgers. I could write a story about uh, drone warfare. I could write a story about persuasion, or I could write a story about, you know, undersea colonies, you know, whatever the list was. One of them was persuasion. And um, I thought that sounded interesting because it wasn't, it was a little, it wasn't drone warfare, right? It was a little off the beaten track. And so I, I decided I was going to give that a try without knowing anything about what I was going to imagine or write. And I think the key moment for this story and, and, and how well it turned out, I'm, I continue to be very happy with it, too. I think it's just a really, I think it holds up and I'm, I'm very proud of the, the vision. I decided I was not going to do any of the first, like, three obvious things that you think of when you think about persuasion, which for me were, like, politics, advertising, I don't know cults or something, you know, the, the madness of crowds and all that kind of stuff. These are all very, this is rich territory. And there's a lot of stories you could write about those things. But I, I don't know why exactly. I guess I just wanted to be different or to, to dig a little deeper and find out what else was there. And so I, I sort of challenged myself to ask, what does persuasion mean in other contexts? And I, and I arrived at this sort of level of, of very, very personal persuasion and, and what it means to, you know, try to persuade someone in the end, uh, that it's time to die. Wow. I, yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So I do remember this and this was one of the fun things that that we could do with Terraform is, is this kind of thing. And I mean, I think, first of all, I'll say that it's, the story is such a good example. I'm glad you're still um, happy with it because like Claire said, we, this is just such a great story and such a great full portrait speculation of like, it's a very lived in, feeling future and it and and that it emerged from 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 a prompt and, and this is something that we would do not only with partnerships like like the one with data and society which i think that one is that it was a fiction story we would run it and then they would also pair it with like sort of a policy paper that like oh, they, no i went i went to the event they talked about it it was kind of wild it was almost intimidating it was sort of part of the the materials and so there are these brainiacs kind of you know talking through the themes of this story and I can't remember if I was on stage as part of the panel or just in the audience, like, uh, you know, <laughs> listening. Uh, but it was, it was, I mean, it's fabulous. It was a fabulous opportunity. But isn't that great? Like, what a, fu- what a what an interesting way to, like, really, like, sort of kick the tires of your creation and, like, really kind of feel, you know, the how it how it holds up and that, that robustness. But, um, yeah, and, and it was so successful because I think, I mean, I ultimately, like, it is funny and it is rye and it is but it is you know it is also 
tackling some very kind of dark questions about, you know, who we make technology for um, and what, you know, what, what is encoded in it from the beginning. Um, So I'd like to hear more from you about sort of, since you landed on doing this persuasion about, you know, this for those uh, who, who who didn't pick up on it already, it is uh, this, this AI that is, not only counseling the ailing and this sort of like I've, this this generation that kind of got stuck before you could maybe get some degree of immortality with like super super tech and uh, and and missing and dying altogether. So they're old and they're kind of like is immortalized in this unfortunate realm. Uh, and one of the sort of that that was that came about later on in the development was that that and it stopped me if I'm getting any of this wrong. But it, it but it, the counselor is also supposed to sort of coach the uh the healthcare recipient into sort of letting go so that they stop being a drain on massive drain life. massive drain yeah right. yeah yeah and that's and they, right and that's in the story that sort of the in a way the sticking point that we so we learn more about our narrator um paul who is one of the architects of this program and went on to lead it you know for many very successful decades this of course at the time that we're joining him is far in the past and he is incensed about that decision to to essentially add a module to the counselors that that can counsel that maybe it's time to die. Not just helping people who have already decided to die, but saying, mm, "Have you considered?" Um, which is very, I mean, it's very dark. Um, at the same time, and I, and I try to put it, put this into the story. There is this sort of this logic to it. Um, I I didn't read part of it, but I um was like sort of crossed it out, but I really liked the part where he talks about his generation. Uh, he called them... I've actually got it right here. It. Yeah, Z- <laughs> he, called them, he says, we were, we, were, we were the asymptotically unwell Xenos <laughs> zombies. And that's, that's the idea, right? It's like you're in this vice grip of sort of like, like this support bed, this other technology. I mean, that's what's maybe something else that's interesting about the story, that it's not just about, you know, one weird future technology. It's actually about two, at least two, that are working at cross purposes. And you can, I mean, really, I, I imagine or try to portray it as almost this, this vice grip or these grinding gears. And then you have, you know, real people in between getting pushed in opposite directions. And that's like uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it is. It's almost like automated, like Malthusianism or something. Almost. It's like this, this logic of a political economy that sort of, you know, put, Put you put given this sort of like automated motor that that you know like okay like it's time you're taking up too many resources like it's time to um, and you know it's 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 funny because and it resonates because it works like that logic is very much built in to a lot of you know not only the U.S. healthcare system but just a lot of healthcare I think it's one of those things where you could say like oh it's just you know you know blah 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 and cost cutting measures it's so unethical but but it really is a question you have to ask a lot of people yeah. sort of really want to consider you know when how long you know, they and there is like you could see this on both sides of the divide you could see sort of like you know the researchers or the silicon valley folks maybe in a permutation of the story going like well wouldn't this be a useful tool you could really puzzle puzzle it out with an ai you could oh, really oh. talk it through and you could it's a u- real utility for somebody yeah um, and it, it, when you, you know, is this, when you sort of like latched onto this scenario, like, did you, did it sort of, you know, did it evolve that way? Or did you already kind of have this like tension sort of that you wanted to explore sort of in your mind? 
That's a good question. Um, I, I do think it evolved that way. I'm, I'm fairly sure, of course, this is all sort of lost in the, in the mists of time and memory, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I began with that, just the, the seed of the idea of this, of this, you know, counseling health AI that um, at a certain point starts to counsel some very different things. And, uh, and kind of, and kind of you, I think this often happens. You then want to build a little bit of a future world around that. Of course, as with all fiction, this, it's complete sham. There's actually no f- future world here. There's like two things, and, and I leave you as the reader to sort of imagine the, the cars hovering, you know, through aerial highways in the background or, or whatever. Um, but, I mean, that is that sense, like, this is a bit of a cliche, but the, the, the real science fiction is never about, like, a technology. It's about a technology going wrong or the, or the ways in which technology fails or behaves unexpectedly. And, and so I think just in the pure logic of of kind of fiction and writing something that's even mildly interesting to read, you you end up arriving there almost inevitably. It has to be not just not just the sort of fake encyclopedia entry about the history of the counselor program from the year twenty seventy two. It's got to be you know the moment at which this this weird AI death counselor butts up against this you know future medical tech. And what is that? What is that moment? And we're sort of we're in the room as those two things collide. And there's this guy who happens to be quite smart to have a, a sort of you know wonderful kind of panoramic view of this whole system, and uh, and and a little bit a little bit wry, a little bit ironic as well as our kind of guide to that uh, collision. All right, cyber listeners, we're gonna pause there for a break. We will be back on with Robin Sloan here in just a minute. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right. Thank you for sticking around, Cyber Listeners. We are back on with Robin Sloan. To me, I feel like the story speaks to this very specifically millennial anxiety about being an in-between generation. Like, you know, we're always doomed to straddle these sea changes in culture and technology. And you allude to that in the story. We talked about this a little bit. Like, millennials find themselves being too old to take advantage of, you know, advanced medical science that keeps the Zoomers alive forever but old enough to basically have this protracted deathbed experience, high-tech deathbed experience, like arguing with an AI about when it's time to pull the plug. And for me, it really parallels the way I feel about the internet, which is to say that I'm old enough to remember life before it, but young enough to have been really formed by it. Were you thinking about the internet uh, when you wrote this piece? I was I don't know that I was thinking about it consciously, no, but, um, but I do think that observation is 100% correct. I mean... At the same time, I think that's true of every every slice. Every slice is in between something. I mean, maybe well, every slice in in modern in the modern world. There are probably slices of people in you know the year uh, eleven hundred who are like, nope, not between every anything. I it's just <laughs> it's just right where I guess I'm supposed to be. Um, but it's just turnips. Yeah, it's turnips. Turnips as far as the eye can see. <laughs> um, but I was born at the right time to plant and harvest these turnips. Uh, but but you know, in in the modern world, um, under the modern condition, I think that's that's a pretty universal feeling. So really, it becomes uh, that, that I think actually interesting work becomes identifying exactly the things that that feel that way to your generation. And I'm I'm, I'm actually quite sure that 
people born in the 1940s feel they have that same sense of, oh, I missed it. I came too soon. I'm sure kids who are, you know, 14 today will as well. But for sure, the millennial kind of broadly speaking, the millennial generation, the Internet's got to be a huge one of them for exactly the reasons you say. And I guess I mean, we'll see what the future holds. But I, I mean, my prediction is that health will increasingly feel like one as well. I think I do. I do believe there's there's some radical changes in biotechnology and healthcare coming in this century. And uh, I mean, it'll it'll be a real bummer when, when they tell you, oh, no, but that only works. That only works if you take those drugs before you're 13. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you guys are way too old already. Oh, you don't already have like 30 years of health data that like, is on your yeah, exactly, whole, right. like, yeah, exactly. You were your database. Right. So I, that's my, my prediction is that's, that's going to become pretty commonly accepted as a, oh, dang yeah. it, for, for people our age. Could be wrong, but it's fun to predict. Speaking of that technology, I, I was curious to, uh, like, I feel like uh, the last six months, especially, we've entered like a new cycle of sort of like discourse around AI and what it's capable of kind of between the, you know, the, the Google sort of the engineer who, you know, and that became convinced yeah. the, the AI was sentient and with Dolly and everything. So I feel, it does feel like we're kind of reentering a, another another phase of this that goes round and round um and and we we touch on some of the same points but i'm curious given that sort of like the fixture of this story is this this ai that is at least capable of sort of um you know simulating speed and like he says he likes to test it he always he's always testing it to see how accurate it is how much of the uh, of the data it remembers or, or about his history um it, it, what is your read on sort of that AI? Like how, how do you, um, you know, think about an AI like that and how you decided to position it? Like, is this sort of within the realm of what's feasible now-ish? Are you anticipating sort of it's some advances or how are, I'm just curious about how you sort of, uh, think about an AI, like that deposited in a situation like this. Yeah, boy, that's a great question. Cause of course it's, I mean, boy, the, the real world is sort of increasingly, increasingly science fictional, especially in this, in this domain. So you're like, what am I even doing? Why am, why am I bothering imagining weird stuff? I can just, you know, point to weird stuff around the corner. Um, I will say kind of, this is not a direct answer, but I was, I was happy to have spent so much time. Um, even, I mean, even at the time I wrote this story, which was several years ago, several years before that, I had spent a lot of time myself tinkering with, you know, what seemed at the time that like dazzling advanced AI has now been rendered, you know, completely obsolete, uh, sort of like kindergarten playthings. But, uh, at the time it was cool. And I, and I did dive really deep and I'm glad because it allowed me, I think, um, not that I go into gruesome detail, but, I, I believe the way that I talk about the production of AI, the training of AI, where where these systems come from, what what kind of data they depend on. I mean, it's drawn from reality and from kind of the real texture of uh, of, of experience. And and I'm glad to put that in there rather than you know AI. You know, one day the computers became sentient <laughs> or whatever. Um, so that that was one thing that kind of I think just helped. And I'm and I actually think that's for for people who, who want to write this way and, and write about these things. I actually think that's pretty important. It's not actually hard to kind of get trained up on on how this stuff works these days. And um, to not do that is kind of, a, I think, a dereliction of, of writerly duty. Um, mm-hmm. So, in the, but the more specific case of the counselor, uh, I, I actually think that someone could make a counselor today. Uh, I don't think they probably should, 
Um, because unfortunately, uh, I mean, this is still a huge unsolved problem in, in AI language tools and systems. Um, they're way too eager to bullshit. And there's so far, there's no solutions to that. Um, and so, um, you know, you like uh, having a chat bot that you're just like having a weird conversation with or something for entertainment or like a video game. That's all fine. Obviously, that would be a huge problem if something is like advising you on on how to be healthy or what choices to make about your your mind or your body. Um, but putting that aside for a moment, um, in terms of uh, imagining a system that could know a lot, have access to you know, an encyclopedic sort of storehouse of medical information, and then would be able to sort of connect that to a conversation, either, you know, chatting in text or, or in fact, even with a synthesized voice. Um, I mean, that's someone truly could do that tomorrow. It's, it's here now. Yeah, someone who reports on AI and has had a fair number of conversations with people that design it and work with it, this was pretty straightforward. Like, I could see someone doing this, like you said, making this exact robot and releasing it soon. Um, yeah. and they shouldn't. They, they, should, should, they shouldn't. Yeah. They shouldn't. <laughs> uh, can you talk about the moment, I mean, spoilers, but the moment at the end of the story where, how would I put this, the AI breaks... A little bit. The fourth wall. Yeah. The fourth wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is the AI. Yeah, it's, I love that. It is the AI's fourth wall. You know, I actually, as the years have gone, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll narrate that moment. Um, it is a tiny spoiler, but too bad. I'll narrate that moment, and then, and then, as, as I'm considering it, I actually think that things have happened in the intervening years that have made that even a little richer. And, and there's, there's something there. So, the moment is, um, we're getting to the end of the story. We've been through this pathos and and just kind of learned what's happening in the world and in, and with this character, our narrator, Paul and his death. Um, and he he finally finishes his mandated conversation with the counselor. He's like, Oh, give me a break. But then the last second, um, the voice kind of shifts and fuzzes. He also, we've gotten some um, intimations that they've changed some of the code recently. So of course there might still, there might be like some bugs, some new bugs introduced. And suddenly um, he hears not the synthesized voice of the counselor, um, which which we learn is based on a particular woman um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time they were making it. Um, uh, but but actually the raw recordings. We hear snippets of the real training data that they used um, to teach the, this machine how to pronounce all these weird medical words and how to sound soothing and, and inviting and wise and and everything else. And um, it's like these little snippets from the from from the studio where they were recording it all those decades ago. And he hears his own voice in the recordings. He hears the voices of some of his colleagues now long dead. And he hears the real original voice of this woman whose name is in the story is Alma Washington Gray. And she's saying, you know, oh, my gosh, how many people you think are going to hear me say this? And, and Paul hears himself say, I mean, I don't know, maybe millions. And I think you're really going to help them. Um, and it's cool, you know, it's a, it's a cool moment in part, it's, it's supposed to get at the, the leverage and the scale that these systems can approach. Um, but also it's supposed to crack it open again, crack it open again and remind us that there's always, always real stuff, real human stuff at the heart of these. And it, it does leak out sometimes. And I think it's been interesting to see that happen with all, even with these new advanced models, you will be asking Dolly or, the mid journey bot on discord or, you know, any of a number of these AI image models for something. And it'll like, you'll be like, what the heck is that? Why would it draw that? And it's like a weird character, a shape, a style. And it really is. It's, I mean, this is gross, but it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the hippopotamus that got like swallowed by the snake. The shape is still there inside the snake and it's going like, 
<laughs> Let me out. Um, and there's, there's no getting around that. The data, you know, the data is, it is all the, the vast, vast troves of training data for all these systems. They're not obliterated. They can't be. I mean, they, the systems wouldn't work if it all essentially went away in there in a very um, kind of appealingly ghostly way, I think. Yeah. Well, it's funny because those ghostly traces, like, I mean, they're evidence of the human hand in all of this, but they're also, you know, considered to be failures. Like, that's when the system is going wrong. It's not that's working. Right. Right. When it's showing us something real, which I find kind of unsettling, you know, like it's only really working when it, when it has hidden all that stuff away. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and otherwise I, it's characterized as a failure or a glitch. It's, I think that, that, and that, that tension uh, and those, those failures, those errors, um, those, yeah, seeing, seeing the shapes, oh, what is, what is that inside? Those are completely unresolved questions. Um, I think there's probably some sort of stupid legal policy reasons that we don't see these companies that are kind of responsible for these models discussing those more. They, I mean, they would really prefer not to. Um, uh, but they're so, but they're such rich questions, and they are gonna have to get addressed. Like this stuff is not gonna become uh, Dolly or whatever is not gonna become the new Photoshop until or unless those questions get addressed in both. Uh, in all of moral, aesthetic, and legal terms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the source material itself. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, who knows where that stuff comes from? It's definitely scraped from places it shouldn't be scraped from. But of course, but again, I mean, not, and I'm, 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 I'm no AI apologist, um, but, um, but of course, sometimes you see the shape under the skin of Robin Sloan, the writer, too, right? Like, I've ingested all this material, and I'm writing something, and there's, and it's, so there's this question of, like, what does it mean to, metabolize something? What does it mean to transform things? Again, un- completely unsolved, unsettled questions. A great artist steal. What is Dolly a great artist? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Very pithy, very pithy. <laughs> so right. I, 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 want, I wanted to point, this, there, it's actually funny that we're, we've kind of settled on this point here. The very first story in the volume is called Busy by Omar Alakad, and it's about like sort of this, this conundrum in one way, like where they need all, all these megacorps tech companies. That's about a few, you know, a future, a few, you know, steps down the line. But they need they need data, and there's no jobs, so like, it, they have entropy mills where people just kind of plug in and they just like generate reams of random data, such as you know, so these shapes get disguised. So you, it's just one of the linkages through these these world these different worlds in the in the terraform anthology. There, um, I wanted well, to. This is, let me. I'll, I'll just let me just interject for the for for you you all will be interested in and perhaps some of your viewers and listeners will will be too the um a lot of the AR, AI art people now are saying we need to really first of all save preserve but also enjoy these AI art models we have now because they are the the last that will be untainted by reams of AI art because now it's out there now the internet is a wash and will be more and more and more it'll be uh-huh. just full of things produced by these models so the future models that like suck it all in will be it's like backwash you know i mean there's a lot of gross metaphors you could use but they're like they're like it's going to be more and more yeah sort of feeding themselves and saying oh so this is how art is supposed to look you're like oh well i I guess that's all we can do but so it's the it's the 2021 2022 vintage models are like the last that were all human you know all human fed which is weird it's god that's so interesting i can't wait till like you know 50 generations down the line it's been feeding on itself then we start getting like really interesting work like right now it's all derivative of human culture you know it's it's imitative but 
later when it's talking to itself and it's developed its own language and it's feeding itself on its own influences like that's when we're gonna start getting like insane like the black midi of visual art yeah yeah exactly exactly it'll, it'll be inscrutable to us but it won't matter because all the buyers will be other ais who are just like bidding it'll just be a whole, oh no whole and we'll be back to growing turnips and yep. living in peace yeah. oh see it'll be a good thing in the long run um, I, I also wanted before we move too far on, cause I had also totally underlined that, that last, uh, section and I had kind of a little bit of a different reading of it. Be, uh, and I wanted to hear your thoughts, um, because to me, it almost seemed like, I know he's, so he's not really, a he's not really like a sort of a startup guy, but there's a lot of things that are sort of anal- analogous to like sort of the way that technology, technology is developed and sort of deployed that he's grappling with here. And to me, it was almost like here he is sort of like years and years later after suffering and wrestling with this, with this moral, moral question. And, you know, it seeming like he feeling like he had really done the wrong thing by unleashing this in one sense, Fra- Frankenstein's monster that convinced all these people to sort of, uh, to, to end their lives. And now he gets to sort of go back at the, you know, and he gets a moment to reconsider. He hears sort of unvarnished that moment when he was proceeding, or maybe he still had a chance to, to stop it. And I think that that would, that is also another thing that's powerful today when you name the company, you know, Facebook or whatever, maybe you would, one would hope that they say like, well, maybe if we had a chance to hear, you know, what we were doing back around that table back in the day, maybe we could, you know, we, maybe, maybe we would stop it or maybe we would have some fresh, you know, considerations about it. Was that part of your calculus at all as well? You know, I don't know that it was, but it, hearing you say that, um, you know, part of one of the things that makes this exceptionally sci-fi way more than the AI uh, is the fact that this is a large scale tech project and platform uh, developed by a public entity and for public purposes. And, and this, yeah. is, this, is, this is another thing where, where I think the really smart AI people, um, I really take my cues from a, a, a writer and kind of AI policy person named Jack Clark, who is very concerned, he writes about this often, he's very concerned that all the biggest uh, systems and deployments of computers, you know, the sort of AI training clusters, and then the models themselves are now all completely private projects. Um, and that's actually, if, you know, if you'd gone back 10 years and asked someone to predict what the state of the world would be now, or, or certainly 20 years, that's probably not what they would have said. They would have said, yeah, it'll be, you know, there'll be these, these grand uh, academic, you know, initiatives that then, you know, get sort of, you know, commercialized and privatized and there's private versions of them. And yeah, there's a lot of reasons why it's worked out this way. Um, but, but Jack's warning is that like, this is not good. Like this actually needs to be it needs to be a capability of public institutions too. And so what would have to change in order for the university of Michigan to do a big ambitious project or, you know, the national Institute of health or, you know, whoever you name it. Um, I think that's a, that's it's, it's that, that part of it shouldn't seem so like shocking. That part of the story shouldn't seem so shocking in sci-fi, but at this moment it really does. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could probably consider it that it was that it was some the part of some like consortium or some like public private partnership where there was like an AI so that would that would probably be the vessel through which it you know it because there are these there are all these like tech companies and health tech companies that kind of like fly under the radar because they're not you know Google or or Facebook or, or or Amazon projects but they often get acquired by them you know uh, right. but. You know, and and I think that there are ways into the bloodstream that it, it yeah maybe it is unrealistic or it strikes us that way now that the public 
you know, institution would would uh, would un- would be the one to unleash it. But certainly, I think that it still doesn't ding the uh, plausibility of the scenario in general because there are those pathways t- to it. And I think that you know, if there, it's 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 one way that sort sort of things make their way into the mainstream. That I think that you know uh, that. Like I just said, people aren't watching quite as much. You know that at this point, the hen, the, the, the major hen houses are pretty closely guarded. But these, these you know, <laughs> these these startups that get often you know huge amounts of money to to do to maybe do a project like this, you know, could feasibly you know, pull it off before before a lot of folks. Um, it's, and it is it truly is. I mean, not like there's any shortage of AI stories, but um, this it, that actually returns me to that that sort of insistence that the people who who want to think and write about this really ought to get into the, into the grit of it. Um, because I mean, I, you think of that, you think of the little startup that's going to make some cool new thing and it's going to come out of nowhere. And cause they've got some amazing new idea. You know, one of the things that they need is a huge grid of, of compute, which they maybe will borrow from somewhere else or they'll rent it from Amazon or they'll build it in some secret basement somewhere. And they also need time. Like even at, even at that scale, these models, you know, think of Dolly or the new Google language models or any of them, you know, when they publish their papers, they, they usually give the specs like this was trained on, you know, 500,000 <laughs> GPUs or whatever over 3.2 months. And you're like, 3.2 months. What? And it feels, I mean, it feels almost biological at that point. It's almost like gestational. And that like to, to grapple with those, processes you know, kind of those feelings like like what does it feel like to be i mean let's say it was it was it was us four and we were it was like you know the cyber the cyber ai dream project and we're like it's going great uh how much longer <laughs> and we hope we hope that it's going to get to the third month and we'll be like and execute yes and it won't just start kind of like you know whatever like you know it won't go insane it won't emerge insane from its from its (laughs) process it's wild the whole thing is there's so much there's so much great texture there that is like actually revelatory it's fun frankly for for fiction and for storytelling in a way that like skynet ai is is not yeah i have this this is kind of a tangential question but it it, it's 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 kind of a fun one because these questions are kind of like in the orbit of so like what if did you did you think at all about um sort of like the impact of this on like the labor equation where like healthcare counselors are you know a major major job um and did they uh are they did they did they get uh, are they working in in Omar's entropy mills now or yeah, boy, entry entropy mill is a, just a killer killer phrase it has mm, taste it has like that future umami to it um no, no, I did not think about that. Thus, again, demonstrating the paucity of mine and every <laughs> sci-fi vision. You always, you, it doesn't take much. You go like, boop, 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 and you realize this is not a future at all. It's just a sort of like little, uh, it's like a curtain held up in front of the light. Uh, so no, but huge. I mean, in the reality, of course, would, would, there would be huge, huge questions and huge disruptions about that healthcare. I mean, it's the economics of healthcare. I really like. It's sort of a, it's like a love this big kind of like Leviathan driver behind the story, but I don't talk about it in any serious way. And in fact, I don't understand it in any serious way. So (laughs) I I think, but I think that like the paucity works in this case, you are able to sort of feed your knowledge and assumptions into the story to create a completely, you know, found an adequate foundation to, to, to read into the story, what you need. Um, I, I, so you, and we've already kind of covered the, 
covered the question of how how you think it it's aged. Is there anything in there that if you I don't know if you reread it previous to, to this, if, if if was there anything that sort of like made you wrinkle your nose a little bit or go like, huh, that that detail feels weird, or was there any any difference between sort of these vantage points of you know looking at the future in twenty fifteen or sixteen and now. Yeah, good question. Wow, wow, it really was. It really twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen? Is that when we? Is that when we worked on this? Um, I think so. I think so. Let me see. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't realize. I don't know. In my mind, it was in my mind. I, I have like the scroll buffer in my memory it only goes back so far. I'm kind of like things become the misty pass very quickly. That's a that's amazing. Yeah, seven um, years. Amazing. Um, well, knowing that, I actually I'm I'm even more pleased with it because because no, it doesn't it doesn't fill me with with shame or regret. Um, you know, I will say one of the things I, I I will say that I've reread it several times in the intervening years, um, just sometimes for my own curiosity and entertainment. And um, there's there's certain parts of it that that, that make me the writer make they make me cry a little bit. Um, and one of the things that I do think is successful at the story. But I, this is my grand, this is not really science fictional or, or, you know, AI future stuff. This is fully literary. Um, it is my belief. I realize this is a, this is a completely overblown statement, but I, but I will make it all the same. I believe that every good short story has to be about death. Novels can be about many things. Novels can be about weaving or, you know, the war of 1812 or great migrations or, you know, romance, everything, trees, short stories must on some level be about death. Um, and I followed that rule uh, with, with the counselor, which, cause it is, it's a story about death and confronting death and being afraid of death and discussing death and everything else. And just to, just to be a contrarian, I just pulled up a list of like great American short stories and they are all about death. Aren't they? <laughs> they are all about, what about love. <laughs> name, I, name I'm the great, I'm in a short story, Claire. Novels, 100%. Not in a short story. Yeah, name oh. the great short... I mean, maybe, like, Gift of the Magi? I mean... get stoned to death in the lottery. That's yeah, exactly. I mean, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, A Good Man is Hard to Find. It's a pretty deeply held opinion of mine. I realize it's ridiculous, um, but that's actually what makes me, like, like, like cling to it even harder. I, uh, I truly, truly believe it. And I try to... I, I think that just about all of my short work... Um, does at least attempt to to meet that standard. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, is it because of like the fact that you have to communicate a lot in a short amount of time that you just have to cut straight to the quick and that's the ultimate quick is, is dying. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm almost, I'm almost um, reluctant to like even try to analyze it. It's for me, it's almost like it's like the like hidden thing inside the box or something or like, the, it's like a magic spell. I don't know. I realized this, I realized this years ago or decided it. Um, not like I discovered something. I decided it years ago, and um, it just has seemed uh, and felt so so true to me. And certainly, of course, all my my favorite favorite short stories are about death. The, the great story by um, Tobias Wolf uh, called uh, "A Bullet in the Brain." Ooh, one of my favorites. Just an absolute, just a killer story. And well, li- li- literally, it's a killer story. <laughs> a story about story about the moments, the moments of death, and uh, just phenomenal. So I don't know. It's it's silly. But it's also really serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that that story too, the haunting last lines. Um, anyways, I, I think we're kind yeah. of like ending our hour here. But this time, I wanted to uh, see if we had any. I'm not looking at the chat right now because it skews my I, volume. All crazy. I do have one Matthew. from Ringzed. 
Uh, this is okay. a Terraform overall question. First of all, guys in chat, if you guys have any questions about AI or the story or Terraform in general, please throw them into the chat. We did have one early at the top of the show. What's the deal with the Terraform audiobook, Brian? What's going on there? It's coming. Uh, it's coming. Yeah. We don't have a it's release coming. date yet, but it's the, really cool. They're doing it with, um, with like, a whole cast of different narrators. So it's like they're, they're going to have a different voices, maybe like, 15 different it's really no, cool so every really- story has a different has a different reader they sent us a spreadsheet that was like will you approve these readers and it was like 60 different readers which i didn't wow. even occur to me that they would do it that way but of course i mean it makes sense they're short stories they all have a different voice like that's how you do it anyway so we don't know how long oh, cool. it's going to take to make but hopefully it'll come out soon yeah, it is on the way. It's in production. Um, we had even sort of broached the idea of using sort of the narration from from those stories for these podcasts, but it was there's no way it was going to be done in time. So yeah, hang tight. It'll be it'll be there, and it'll be it. You know, just like you uh, MCD, as you know, Robin does such a great job with design and producing these things. Just the Look book, I cannot. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's embossed, and like the the art is all inserted into the into the pages and. It's it's really it's really great. Uh, so I can only assume that the uh, production company that they work with to do the audiobook will be just as just as good. I also, just want to say, like, I love MCD going straight to paperback with this. Like, oh. sci-fi, like it's it's yeah. it's, 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 it's sci-fi, sci-fi lives in paperback. Absolutely, absolutely. I really agree. respect not them for more. understanding that. Yeah. Yep. 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 Great. They have been they have been great. They have been great. Um, uh, innovators of and, and sort of supporters of the, the paperback original, as it's called, you know, it, it arrives in the form it ought to be in. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's Absolutely. a s- special kind of feel to going to that sci-fi section of the used bookstore and kind of going through all the ancient paperbacks and finding the treasures in there. And that's very sp- specific tactile smell. And I'm glad that Terraform is going to be a part of that. I know I want to like rapid age it so it starts smelling like musty and right, you know, like I don't know how to ripen this. It's got to like run through the AI like cooking machine for 3.5 months and then come out. The rapid, rapid age it. I don't know why I'm, <laughs> dis- I'm disturbed by that, but I'm not sure why. Like what, like, what, machine, what machine would that be? I don't know. Just dip it in some tea and burn the edges or something just to get it to where it needs to be. All right, y'all. Doesn't look like chat has anything else for us. So I'm going to hit this button and say thank you Claire thank you Brian thank you Robin for coming on to Cyber and talking about Terraform and doing another reading with us Uh, the book again as I said is out today go buy it and find bookstores everywhere Uh, and we will be back oh 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 we do have a question at the the very Uh last second here let me go screech so (laughs) Robin I don't know if you have read them but if you have which dystopian novel on climate change do you prefer Ministry for the Future by Kimley Stan Robinson or Kim Kim Stanley Robinson or Termination Shock by Neil Stevenson. That is wow. Asking wow, you to play favorites. Bad. I love it. I, love it. I, I so I haven't read. I, I can't properly answer the question because I, I haven't read um, Termination Shock. I did love Ministry for the Future, but I'm I'm surprised actually um, that um, Wind Up Girl by Paolo Bacigalupi was not in the in contention there because um, it is a, I. I that is one I would be hard. I'd be hard pressed to, to choose between that and um, actually either of Kim Stanley Robinson's novels, The Ministry for the Future, which is not. I don't think it. I mean, it's it's not a dystopia. It's actually very. It's real. It's now. Um, uh, but his previous book, a couple of books ago, New York Twenty One Forty, is um, is also also you know in the ring as kind of a 
I think it's actually, I mean, all of his work on this is so great and so rich, but New York 2140, for those who haven't read it, it's worth reading because it is a story about climate disaster. It takes place in a drowned New York City. But the bravery, the courage of the book is to depict, among so many other things, how super fun that would be. Like people are driving (laughs) around. People are driving around in boats in the canals of Manhattan. And to, to, I mean, this is, this is what I think a fiction writer has got to do. You can't just be, oh, yeah, of course, it's, it's all terrible. It's bad. It's all bad. We know that. Nothing's all bad. There's always joy and delight and cool romantic dates, you know, in the shadows of the towers on the glittering canals. And if you don't imagine that stuff, then like, why bother? Do something else. So life, New York 21, life New York persists. 21 is great. Yes. Always, always. And life persists always- and, and grows to fill the space in which it is allowed. Right. Well said. Damn. Okay. We're not going to top that. So. <laughs> well, then that we will let that be the, the, the exit as again, again, saying again, go terraform buy it. It's full of wonderful short stories. It's out now. It's incredible, and we're going to be back next week with another live reading and another episode of Cyber. Uh, I think we're going to talk to Lorenzo about his time at DEF CON and seeing a John Deere tractor broken and Doom played on one of its screens in real time. It's going to be very exciting. Look forward to that next week. Uh, Stay safe out there on the internet. It is a dangerous place, especially with all these AIs running around now. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye! 